0: Well, hello, everyone. Phil Giuliani here again on Messianic Lamb Network. Always great to be here. And this program is called One and Messiah. And if you're tuning in for the first time, um, we've been here for just just shy of a year. Actually, it's about 50 weeks now. We started last February 9th. I'm pretty sure that it was. But... um What this ministry does is connects passages, concepts, teachings from the Tanakh and from the New Testament, the Brit HaDashah, because after all, Yeshua himself said in John 539 that all the scriptures testify of him. Uh, Basically, what he said in actuality was all the scrolls are about me and the only scrolls that Existed at the time, of course, were the Old Testament scrolls, the scrolls of the Tanakh, the Torah, the Prophets, and the Writings, and so all these things point to Him. All these things are about Him, and so it makes it very important to to study. You know, Paul tells Timothy, "You study to show yourself approved." The Scripture is. The foundation and it completes the man or woman of God for every good work. And we're not going to do the Timothy letters today, but Paul tells Timothy the importance of the scriptures. And and since we're talking about Timothy, he also tells Timothy, You've studied the scriptures since your infancy. I don't know if he really meant infancy, but <laughs> anyway, you've studied the scriptures since your infancy and your grandmother and your mother. I think grandmother was eunice and his mother was lois but i always get those two mixed up but and again uh paul tells timothy that it was great that he had studied all his life so the question again that you have to ask yourself is what scriptures was timothy studying and of course it was the tanakh because as paul writes that of course the new testament hadn't been written parts of it were written floating around here and there weren't put together till long afterwards and so it's important to study and it's important to study in the tanakh not just um the sort of messianic prophecies and what i call the types and the foretellings and the prophetic writings and the shadows that prefigure Yeshua. But if everything throughout all of the scripture applies to people living in all different times. And when you think about it, here we are in the 21st century after Jesus, after Yeshua, 21st century, and Nothing was added to the Old Testament after Malachi, which was about 400 B.C. And nothing's been added to the New Testament since about, oh, I don't know, three something A.D. I I, I don't remember when the last book was actually added. But here we are in the 21st century and we're still learning lessons from what we can read in the Torah which was written by Moses in the wilderness and all of the authors I don't even know offhand how many authors there there were of the various books and as you know some books like nobody knows for sure who wrote um Hebrews Nobody knows for sure who wrote 1st and 2nd Chronicles. There's books where the author's not really known. So I don't know how many authors there were. But with all those authors writing over probably a 2,500 year or so period of time, the whole work, the whole scripture is internally consistent, points to Messiah, right to the point where Yeshua says, all of this is about me. And he can say, of course, the same of the New Testament books. If he comes back tonight, and I hope he does, he could say to us that are joining him, all the books are about me, including the New Testament books, of course. So it's, it's important to study. And, you know, if you if you know me and you come to all my various groups and home groups and prayer groups and bible study groups and ministries and so forth you're probably tired of me hearing this but of me saying this but the level of scriptural ignorance that we have in our day is just abysmal just absolutely horrible and frustrating and of course it shouldn't be that way if you love him and you want to follow him you want to see what he says about himself in his word. You want to see what he reveals about himself in his word. And it's important not just to kind of, you know, read the New Testament because it's easier to understand and we don't have all those names and all those battles. And, you know, in the Old Testament, God seems to be really mean. But in the New Testament, he's very nice. So let's stick with the nice stuff. And um, you don't have a complete picture either of salvation or of what Messiah Yeshua does when he comes here, when he comes into our time-space capsule, as many teachers like to say. I think that's a, a cool description. That he comes from eternity, comes from outside of time, he's I am, always existing in the present tense, never been a time where he did not exist, to being humanly present in our space-time capsule. So it's important to study, it's important to read, it's important to meditate over it, to pray over it. To get, as Hank Hanegraaff likes to say, get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you. So that's always like my little introductory talk. But if you want to call it a pep talk, that's fine, because I mean it to be that. Because I can't understand why people are not studying the Scripture, or why people read any number of books about the Bible but don't read the Bible itself and it kind of reminds me um my wife and I have been very active in vineyard churches and if you know about the vineyard church you know about John Wimber and John Wimber traveled all over the world uh during the late 70s through the 80s and until his death in 1997 And he talked about scripture and he talked about evangelization and wrote a lot of books. And I always remember the quote where he was sitting in a hotel room somewhere in the world one night all by himself. And he was just kind of looking out the window and going over what was going on. And he felt the Lord say to him, are you going to pray or are you just going to talk about praying? Are you going to actually read the word or are you just going to talk about the word? And he was very impacted by that. And it's, I think, a really good lesson for all of us, not just if you're a pastor, not just if you're an elder, not just if you're a bishop or not, whatever rank you have in the denomination you belong to. It's for everyone. And today, we're going to go into a book that probably isn't really studied very much, but a passage that you all know very well. And it's the book of First Kings. Now, the scenery that you see behind me um, is a view from near the top of Mount Carmel in Galilee. Um, it's a really beautiful beautiful awesome place and my wife and i have been there and we you can actually drive a car to i the peak of it i mean the very top of it there's a little place where you can just kind of sit and look out over this countryside so i just found this picture but unfortunately i am not there now i am in greater greater cleveland ohio (laughs) but i wish i was at the top of mount carmel and it's just a beautiful site that looks over a big area of, of countryside and uh, it's near the city of haifa and it's accessible from central galilee as you drive toward the mediterranean it's actually very close to the mediterranean but we're going to get into a lesson that that has to do with this and again since we're talking about connecting scripture and since I mentioned that I'm in the Cleveland area, if you live in the Cleveland area, you can join us on Friday nights for one in Messiah, the in-person version, <laughs> which is every Friday night at 6.15 PM. And we meet at 709 Brook Park road, which is uh Calvary chapel of Cleveland church. So if you get a chance to pop out, pop out there and visit with us or hang out for an hour and a half or so. That would be great. So, um, and then all the teachings from there, as well as these teachings end up on my YouTube channel. And I'll show you at the end of a slide that has the YouTube and the podcast and two websites and some other stuff. But you all know that Mount Carmel is important because of the prophet Elijah. Now, since again, those of you that know me know that I have to give the background about everything. (laughs) So (laughs) the quick background, of course, is the kingdom was divided after Solomon. And you had the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah. And the Kingdom of Israel, the Northern Kingdom was pretty much of a disaster and uh, the kings married gentile pagan women they built temples to other gods they built temples in high places which they weren't allowed to do um prophets were sent there um elijah and amos probably being the key ones but And there's other ones. Um, Isaiah talks about what's happening in the northern kingdom. Also, so I don't want to leave Isaiah out. But eventually God dealt with the northern kingdom and it was destroyed by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians came in. If you read, um, if you're familiar with Jonathan Cahn's works, he talks at length at length about all the parallels there are between the Northern Kingdom being destroyed and what's happening in Western society, particularly in America. So if you haven't read any of Jonathan Cahn's books, I would start with the Harbinger and read the rest of them. They're very interesting. I'm not saying I believe every word of it, but they're very interesting, to say the least. So the Northern Kingdom was destroyed in 722 BC by the Assyrians. Some of the people were deported into Assyria, which is roughly present-day Syria. The Assyrians moved into the area, intermarried with a lot of the people there, and they became the Samaritans. They became the ancestors of the Samaritans. So Mount Carmel was in the Northern Kingdom, and the prophet Elijah was sent there to talk to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. We're not going to put up every scripture. And we're not going to talk about every word. But I I assume that that um, you all know the story. So he confronts King Ahab. And jezebel of course hates him and is going to turn on him and um when we get into chapter 19 we're going to see the result of that but today we're going to talk about chapter 18 and i'm going to put some of the scripture up here on the screen and so there was what we would call idolatry what we would call apostasy what we would call it was, was worse than heresy because the people were Israelites. These were not foreign people that lived there at this time. They were not Egyptians. They were not Greeks. They were not Assyrians. They were not Babylonians. These were Israelites who lived in the Northern kingdom and as we're going to see maybe next week, we may have to do part two because it, it, it follows part two of this is very important to what happens after what we're going to talk about now. But it sounds like a very small remnant of people were left that were not involved in the idolatry. We're not involved in the apostasy. And I use the word apostasy purposely that would have, really not made any sense at that time. But we know apostasy from the Greek word apostasia, that it's a, Paul calls it the great falling away, calls it a falling away. An apostate is someone who knew the truth, was involved in worship, was involved in ministry, was involved in faith, was involved in church, and then rejects it and puts it all aside and says, hey, I'm not doing this anymore." we've lost interest i've lost interest in this you know i used to do the church thing now man i don't really find that interesting anymore i've kind of moved on to other things that is different than a heretic who believes generally everything but has a wrong idea about something or other so apostasy of course is much worse and Paul writes to the Thessalonians about the great falling away before the Antichrist is revealed. And spoiler alert, we've seen the great falling away happen. I think we're pretty much toward the very end of it. Now it's been going uh, full tilt now for about, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And as you know, from just casually looking around, Things are a lot different than they were even 20 years ago. So a great apostasy has taken place. In the Northern Kingdom, a great apostasy took place. They had the Torah. They had the writings of the prophets. Most of the prophets, not all at this point. They had many of the writings. Not all yet, but most. They had, of course, not all the historical books because... History hadn't all been lived out yet, but they had the scripture as it existed at the time and as it was contained in Jerusalem at the temple with the, um, well, there weren't Pharisees, but with the religious leaders, there wasn't a the Sanhedrin, but with the religious leaders, the high priest, the chief priests, and the multiple orders of Levites that were priests who guarded the truth of the scripture. So the people in the Northern kingdom had that same scripture, but yet, but yet they turned to idolatry and they made temples to foreign gods, to false gods, built them on high places. The King's, well, you know, when you read through the, the the first kings, second kings, it names who was king of Israel, who was king of Judah, and ninety some percent—I <laughs> never calculated it—but ninety percent or so did evil in the sight of God. There were a handful that were good. So we're not going to get into that now. But most of them were evil in the north. They were a disaster. And so Amos, Isaiah, I, uh, Elijah went there. Elisha went kind of back and forth. But the prophets were sent there to try to redirect what was going on. And so in, in 1 Kings 18, we have the story that hopefully you all know. <laughs> I would assume you did do about Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal now who was Baal well Baal was kind of a chief god that was worshipped in that whole area and the Canaanites had him all the surrounding people had him and even the Israelites even the chosen people even the true People of the covenant got involved with Baal worship. Now, this should make you think on two levels. Here are the chosen people who have a unique, special covenant with God. They're the only people on the earth that have that covenant. A Messiah has been promised to them, Messiah is going to come from them. And Isaiah tells them that Messiah is going to be for everyone. Salvation is going to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, which of course includes Gentiles. So on one level, you can see how this applies to Israel. On another level, you can see how it applies to us today. We have faith in the Messiah. We've repented of our sins. We've decided to follow Yeshua. Made him Lord. Made him Lord of our lives. King of kings. And. People who do not have that. Are in a totally different environment. A totally different situation. Than we are but what's happened, the falling away has happened. The concepts, the the teachings of Christianity have been watered down and that goes into prosperity and health and wealth, so to speak, all the names for it, we're gonna talk about that now, but streams of Christianity that are not traditional Christianity the so-called fire and brimstone teaching has completely disappeared to now we're replaced with God is love. God loves everyone. Yes, that's true. Um, God doesn't punish anyone. We accept everyone. He'll accept you as you are. And we've kind of made a church that says, well, God will accept me on my terms rather than the truth, which is God will accept you on his terms. And so that's where we are today. Our own feeling, our own ideas, our own thoughts are what determine truth, what determine (coughs) orthodoxy, so to speak. And that, of course, is completely heterodox because our feelings have nothing to do with the truth. We don't determine the truth and it's not about us so we've become like the northern kingdom and people in the church are doing yoga and meditating you know reiki and all sort of stuff that i don't really know about and i'm not really prepared to discuss in detail but they have eastern not eastern orthodox christian but eastern hindu buddhist influences which have come into the church we've kind of become one with everything you know we're gonna we talk about focusing energy you can go places and hear christians talking about meditating and with the idea that they may say to you well i center myself on jesus well that's nice but we shouldn't be using eastern techniques shouldn't be repeating mantras you know jesus himself said don't say repetitive vain prayers like the pagans because it's like a mantra that is not biblical my opinion you may disagree it's fine if you you know if some of you are innocently doing yoga i'm not i'm just saying in general these are eastern practices but they've come into the church The idea of sin repentance salvation is almost not even discussed anymore there's places that believe in universal salvation oh there's probably 15 people in hell you know there's hitler and some total degenerates but everybody else is saved because god is love well that's not what the scripture tells us that's not what the Judeo-Christian teaching is over all of this time, starting at the very beginning of Torah. So we've become kind of like the Northern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom even had its own priesthood. Man, we don't need those guys in Jerusalem. They discouraged people from going to the temple. I mean, after all, we don't need that. We can do the stuff here. We got priests here. We got the king, we got the priests, we got the temples. It's just as good as going to Jerusalem, totally violating everything that it says in Torah, everything that it said in the prophecies that existed at the time. And the church has been doing this too. And we don't need all that stuff. We've advanced now. We've evolved. You know, we, we we're with it. And all that other stuff is like old fashioned thinking. We'll have some nice music, we'll have some light show, we'll have the the dry ice to make the carbon dioxide clouds and off some flashing lights, some great music. And then we'll do a nice teaching that uplifts everybody and says i'm okay you're okay and you know let's go out there and have fun because everything's great everything's awesome you're awesome we're all awesome so have a nice week and we'll see you next week and it's produced what i always call high five jesus when jesus is my buddy he's my friend yes he is our friend he even says i'm your friend but we've come dangerously close to high five Jesus. And so just like Elijah going into the Northern kingdom, there are people that are concerned about this and that are now a remnant within the church. And no one goes to more churches than I do. And this remnant of people is within most of the denominations. I don't want to say all or most, but most of the denominations where there's like nucleus of Orthodox people that say, you know, we have to get back to real Christianity here. This easy Christianity of the, you know, 1980s, 1990s is a lot different than the Christianity of the year 33 to up to, I don't know, 1960-ish or so. We have totally different ideas now. The people in the northern kingdom had totally different ideas than the people in Jerusalem. So Elijah goes into this setting. And we're not going to pick on different churches, but you can imagine a hard orthodox interpretation of scripture going into a place where everybody just wants to have fun and be told that they're awesome. And that everything around them is awesome and starts to preach, people will generally walk out. And that's exactly what happens. It's exactly what's happening. Elijah was in the same position. And I don't want to say he was courageous, he was created cr- courageous in this passage I'm just going to read. But then after that, he also was kind of cowardly. And as you know, ran off and hid in the wilderness, went like 150, 200 miles away to save himself from Queen Jezebel. But he confronts false teachers. So let's go to First Kings 18, starting in 21. Now, please read all of this for your homework. This is going to be the highlights. And Elijah came to all the people. Who? All the people. Did he come to 10 of them? Nope. Did he come to maybe, oh, 20% of them? Nope. He came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, Lord, all capital letters is God's name. He's talking about Yahweh, all capitalized in English. The only way that that can be expressed. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Not a word. Covenant people. And I have to emphasize, these are the covenant people. These are not pagans from someplace else. These people didn't get here from across the Mediterranean, across the desert, up from arabia or wherever these are israelites and elijah basically says hey if yahweh is god follow him what are you doing with all this other stuff you know if yeshua is your messiah if your sin is forgiven by his blood if salvation comes only through him what are you doing with all this other stuff Why are you involved in all this other stuff? This is what matters. So follow him. But if you think the other stuff is important, then do that. But don't do both. You have to decide how long are you going to falter between two opinions? And the people answered him not, a word not a word they had no comment on this and what does that mean they were weren't sure (coughs) yeah you know we were really into the god stuff but you know i saw baal priests and they did some pretty cool stuff and you know i don't know maybe god maybe the god of israel is god here but maybe there's other gods that you know over there Maybe our God is just in charge of this area. And there's other gods in other areas. And, you know, maybe we ought to pay some attention to them. Because after all, some of their people have come here. Some of their women have married our kings. And they got some pretty good points. People are coming into Christian churches with all kinds of outside ideas. And people are saying, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, never thought of that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I used to be worried about what was scriptural and what isn't, but this you know, this guy's got some pretty good ideas. Kind of makes more sense actually, and it kind of lines up better with what my thinking is. Lines up with how I think how I think things should be, because after all, I got ideas too. I'm pretty important. And I, I've i even been told that words create, you know, since words have power, what I say can produce a certain situation. Well, what's wrong with that? It's a mockery of the act of creation, which was spoken. We cannot speak things into being. Only God can speak creation into being. We cannot. So some of these things sound very good. I may have a runny nose and a sore throat and I may be coughing and I may feel kind of feverish. And somebody says, oh, you sound like you have a virus. And I can say, oh, no, I don't accept that. I don't accept that teaching. I don't accept that. I don't have a virus. Oh, okay. That doesn't change the fact that you have a virus. And that's kind of a corny example, but I hope you get the idea. So these people answered him, not a word. Now, when these things happen in the Christian churches, people don't know enough scripture. They don't have enough foundation. They don't have enough of a background. They don't have enough of a, I don't know what else to call it, a structure to say no that can't be right they say oh we like that he wants me to be rich wait a minute i'm going to be healthy all the time wow i'll sign up for that that sounds a lot better than when i was going to that church where they told me there was sin and there was fire and brimstone yeah But if you're not grounded, if you don't have the foundation, if you're not standing on the rock, capital R, so to speak, you'll fall for anything. You may fall for anything. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let us choose one bull for ourselves cut it in pieces and lay it out on the wood but put no fire under it so he challenges the priests of baal the prophets of baal to a test. there's 450 of them against one remnant talking about remnant 450 against one so here's what we'll do. They can sacrifice a bull. I'll sacrifice a bull. We'll cut it up. We'll put it on the wood, but not light a fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So he puts out a challenge. We'll both prepare, both sides will prepare a bull. Well, his side was just Elijah. <laughs> Put it on the wood, don't light a fire. And you guys pray to your gods. And I'll pray to the Lord. All capital letters, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the God who answers by fire, He's God. He's the real God. So it's a challenge. We need people in the church to challenge false teachers. We need people in the church to say, it says here in the scripture, this, this, and this, what you're saying is wrong. This does not line up with the revelation that's in this series of books. Call it a book for simplicity's sake. We need someone to stand up He's one man against 450. We're supposed to be intimidated if two people talk against us. Even one person talk against us. He had 450 against him. And he's the one who issues the challenge. They didn't issue the challenge. These people in the whole area were under judgment and they had to be brought to repentance. You know, prophets came, prophets didn't just come to talk about when Messiah comes, here's what he's going to be like. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what's going to happen. They did that. They told us that he was going to be a suffering lamb that he was going to be a lion that he was going to come back that he was going to be the judge of the world they told us all about messiah but they also told people where they had departed from true teaching and what kind of a mess so to speak they were in now that they were under judgment and they had to be brought to repentance And if you read the first few chapters of Jeremiah, oh, you really get you really get the full picture of that. So, God has to get their attention because they've been lulled into any number of other things, including idolatry. Now you say, "Oh well, you know, I don't worship Baal. I don't have any statues of any weird gods in my house." Well. I'm glad to hear that. And that may very well be true, but you still have idols. We still have idols in Western society, comfort and wealth and kind of, you know, ease are the biggest idols, money, power, greed, lust, all big idols. We may not have statues of these things, but they are idols. But God says in the scripture that everyone's mouth is going to be stopped by the law, actually. And their mouths are going to be stopped by Yeshua. Because kings are going to stand amazed and speechless when they see him. Amazed and speechless. Because he does not have competitors. There is none beside him. He does not have competitors. So Elijah, the other prophets that went to the north, if you read Amos, you really get a good story of it. They finally, at the end of the book, tell him, go back to Judah, go back and do, why don't you prophesy over there? We don't need you here. We got our own stuff. We don't need a preacher in the church that tells us biblical truth. We got our own stuff going. We got the best worship team anywhere. Everything's going really nice here. Look how many people we got coming. You're not going to come here and ruin it. You're not going to come here and make a scene. Elijah, we don't want you here. Amos, we don't want you here. Preacher Joe, we don't want you in our church because you're a bummer. You're a downer. We like to talk about upbeat things, but eventually they're going to have their mouths stopped because they're, they're not going to be competitors. These people had mixed worshiping God and Baal. Just like in the church now, we've mixed worshiping God with any number of things, any number of other pursuits. They had a mixture. Elijah puts two things in front of them. You can only have one of these two opinions. You decide which is the creator, who is omniscient, who's omnipresent, who's omnipotent. You guys decide and serve him. If you think it's Baal, then go serve him. If you think it's Yahweh, then go serve him. So he puts a choice in front of them. And in the church today, we see this, well, it's already unfolded. And it's unfolded to such an extent that the church is trying very hard. And I use church, capital C for the body of Messiah. The church is trying very hard to be more and more like the world. Because this moral abyss that we're in, we hear very, 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 very few Christian leaders step up and condemn anything, say a word about anything. Everybody's afraid. We want everybody to like us. We don't want people to think we're weird. We're worried that, you know, people might cancel us. Well, Yeshua himself said, they're not going to like you because they hate me. They're going to hate you too. Even Winston Churchill, and I don't know anything about his faith. I don't know anything about what he believed, said, you have enemies? Great. That means you stand for something. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me first if everybody in the world loves you, something's wrong. So there was this division. So their hearts are divided. Our hearts are divided. Yeah, you know, I remember I used to read the Bible and and this doesn't quite go along with that, but this actually makes a lot more sense. I wanna be nice to everybody. I wanna kind of accept everything. And I think everything will be cool. It'll all work out in the end. If we just do the best we can, it'll all work out in the end. So here's Elijah, one voice against 450 voices. Here we are. Maybe you're one voice, and you got a couple hundred people at a church that don't agree with you. We don't know how big the remnant is, but there's always a remnant. Zephaniah even tells us. 500 and something BC, that there's a, always a remnant. And all the power seems to be on one side. Baal seem to have the advantage here, 450 to one. The king, the queen, the, pas- the palace, the temples, they had their own priesthood. Torah explains what the priesthood is. They said, i no, 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 we got our own priesthood. We don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. One side seems to have all the power. In the world we live in today, one side seems to have all the power. And it can get very discouraging at times. I get very discouraged at times. I'm sure you all get very discouraged at times. Just even watching the news or listening to people at, work talk or people at the grocery store talk or people at the coffee shop talk and here these people that elijah's confronting they don't want to say you know people at the church may not want to say what they really think in fact they won't say what they really think especially if they're confronted who do you think you are? This is my business. This is my private faith. I don't have to tell you anything. People may not even give an opinion, may not even be willing to discuss anything about it. So I just stands alone. The people in the remnant stand alone. The fact that it's called a remnant, no matter what time in history it is, show that it's a small group compared to a huge group compared to kind of a multitudes now elijah is standing there in front of these 450 against these 450 because of course he has the power of god on his side he has the power of the ruach he has the power of the holy spirit strengthening him at least at this point we'll see probably next week that that doesn't always happen to elijah but he stood there and he talked about fire coming down to burn up these sacrifices let's see which of these gods makes the fire fire you know Peter talks about fire and how fire brings out pure things, burns up impurities, clarifies things. So he calls down for the fire. So then the people answer, okay, great. You This is well-spoken. Again, I can put up every scripture. You want to have a contest? It's great. Let's do this. And they agree. We're willing to, you know, hang around here and, and see the results. You know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see who's really God. We'll see who's really in charge here. Because, yeah, you know, we got some scrolls around, that, you know, I've kind of read. I remember those books of Moses. and But, you know, we got a lot of other stuff now. And, you know, we're not so much into the old-fashioned stuff, because we've evolved as well. Yeah, you know, we got some Bibles around our church. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, we don't really use them that much. I mean, after all, that's old-fashioned thinking. Nobody wants to hear stuff from 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. Come on, let's get with it. Or what's even worse is we'll pick out the parts that we like. That's what we'll do. We'll pick out the positive parts. We'll take the uplifting cool stuff and we'll leave out all that depressing, weird stuff. We don't want to talk about judgment. We don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. We want to talk about happy things. Like the people said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, tell us something good. We want to hear good stuff. We don't want to hear depressing stuff. We don't want to hear bad stuff. So they took the bull, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar, which they had made. They made an altar to a false god, put the sacrifice on it, then called out to the god, These are Israelites. Let me say that again. These are not pagans. These are Israelites. We got those scrolls around here somewhere, but old Baal, old Baal, hear us. On an altar that they made, and they leaped around. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. This has gone on for hours. Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them, dancing, singing, crying out to Baal cutting themselves crying out loud dancing around the altar these were all the pagan practices of the time torah says you don't cut yourself you don't tattoo yourself you don't pierce yourself you don't cut yourself these are what the pagans do so elijah taunts him well maybe your god's on vacation maybe he's meditating maybe he's asleep But what do we know in Psalm um, 121? He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. But maybe your God is asleep. Maybe you guys ought to like turn up the volume a little bit. See if you can wake them up. These false priests, false prophets were really noisy. They're trying to please their God, little G. And they even offer their own blood. They cut themselves. You know, these are the people that would burn their babies to the god Moloch. As we're doing in America now and in the Western world. Sacrificing babies to the god Moloch. Here they even offered their own blood. Deuteronomy 1 is what I was referring to. You're not supposed to cut yourself. Elijah ridicules... These pagan practices ridicules them. Can you pick one guy against four hundred and fifty, and he's ridiculing them rather than the four hundred and fifty guys ridiculing the one guy. So he makes fun of their of these practices. He doesn't interrupt them. He says, "Go ahead." Lets him go on for hours yeah keep it up keep doing it and as time goes on they get more and more ridiculous has that been happening in the churches yes as time's gone on we've gotten more and more ridiculous and again these are the chosen people doing this these are israelites doing this they're waiting for counterfeit miracles. But God, the true God, the God of Israel is not going to let counterfeit miracles happen because these people are being taught a lesson. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. There was an altar to God there that had been broken down. They made a false altar to a false God. The true altar to the true God had been broken down. So he repaired it took 12 stones to represent the tribes because the word had come through Jacob that he was now the father. He was Israel. 12 stones. It's repeated so many times in Torah. So he repairs the altar that was there. He's not going to use the pagan altar that those other guys are dancing around and covering with blood not going to use the pagan altar. He repairs the real altar that was there. This would remind these people of what they had done there before, which was worship the true God. He wasn't introducing a new religion. He wasn't bringing in some foreign belief. He was restoring what they were supposed to have in their scripture. In the Tanakh as it existed up to that time. And you know that in the book of Revelation, Yeshua says the church at Ephesus has lost its first love. Well, these guys had really lost their first love to the point of worshiping a false God and destroying the true altar and building a false altar. Well, I know the time is almost up now. So I think we're going to probably continue this next week. In fact, we're going to have to continue it next week because I haven't gotten to some of the main points yet. So keep this in mind. Keep in mind how how this applies to us, how this applies to the churches, how this applies to the world that we live in, in 21st century western culture in 21st century america well i've run out of time and i'm already over time but go to search for my youtube channel which is one in messiah gift of grace ministries podcasts are under dr phil slash gift of grace you see the two websites there so i hope you have an awesome week and be back with us again